And a lot of families and teachers are thinking about school, right? It's time for back to school, so they're doing the shopping, they're getting classrooms ready. And maybe if you're like me, you're probably dreaming about school starting again. Can't get my locker open, can't find the next classroom. That's only been like 40 years ago, but it's still all there, right? It's somehow that stress stays with us. But as, as people head back to school, a lot of classes are going to be doing some sort of back to basics, a little bit of review. Let's go back and relearn what we've already learned. And there's times in which I think we need a little bit of that to go back to basics. What does it mean to be the church? And we're going to spend a few weeks doing that in a new series that I'm calling Back to Basics, Back to the Basics of Church Life. Well, what does it mean to be the followers of Jesus in this place in this community. Now, you know, when we think about that and we look back in the New Testament, what we find is that, well, sometimes people did discuss some of those basics. And in fact, Paul did that in the book of Ephesians. And, and Ephesians feels a lot like, a little bit different from a letter. It feels more like a handbook for early church life. And in fact, it may be that the book of Ephesians was sent to Ephesus, this important church in what we call, well, Western Turkey, but was then handed around to other churches in that area and in Greece. And, and people use this as, okay, this is what it means for us to be the church. And so we're going to study sort of several verses from Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But Paul really lays out a lot about what it means to be church in Ephesians 4. So it's good for us to go there. Now, as we think about going back to basics... You look at what Paul says, and I think about well, the difference in the world now and then, and the difference in the church now and then, and how you know, Paul addressed the need to go back to basics, but we live in a world where the distractions are so much more numerous than they were in Paul's day, even in church life. Where in Paul's day, people were gathering in homes and meeting together. Now we have buildings and budgets and, and all kinds of meetings to have church programming. And, and it's good for us at times to just think, what does it mean for us to be the church? What is at the core of church life? And so I want us to identify several things that I believe really are at the core of church life because they're what Paul identified as those things. And the first one I want us to think about today is unity, church unity. We already sung a little bit about that this morning. And in fact, that goes back further than Paul. It's not as though Paul just saw problems and addressed this, though that is part of what happened. This was something that Jesus addressed even during his own ministry, at the very end of his ministry, before he was crucified, Jesus prays this prayer that fills John 17. And in the midst of that prayer, he prays for those who would believe because of the testimony of the men who surrounded him, his disciples. And this is what he prays for us. Okay, so this is Jesus praying for you and me. This is what he says, John 17, beginning in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples before him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, that they may be one, Father, just as you and you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus says, 
If we want to fulfill the mission that he's given us, that the world would believe, one of the things that has to be in place is that we are one. That we are united in this effort to fulfill that mission. And it's not going to happen effectively if we're not united in that mission. So Jesus prayed for it. And then Paul brings it back because he believed that the Christians in his day, and certainly my guess is Paul believed that we would need it as well. So as we think about Christian unity, we have to say if we look at the history of Christianity since Paul to now, what we have to admit is we're not really good at this, right? I mean, it doesn't take very long looking back in the history of the last century or the last couple of millennia that we find Christians finding all kinds of reasons to divide from one another. It happens for because, well, we we worship, we want to worship different than that group over there, or we organize ourselves different from that group over there, or we believe this little thing over here that's different from that group over there. And so, you know what? We're going to draw a line. And we're in, and they're out, right? We're the real believers They're false believers. And that can happen in local churches as feelings get hurt, or we decide, I want worship that's different than that. I want this person in place. All those those local things can happen as well. And we find reasons to divide from one another. And this happens all over the place. It's not restricted to any one culture. It's not restricted to any one time. It's been happening throughout Christian history. Partly because... We do this as human beings in lots of arenas, right? Look at politics. Look at communities around the world, and we find people dividing and drawing lines and saying, we're in and you're out. But the problem is, Christians should be different, shouldn't we? We shouldn't reflect the way that the world works. We should reflect the way that Jesus worked. And so Jesus prayed that we would be unified for the sake of mission. So Paul calls us back to that. Now, if we look in the book of Ephesians, what we find is uh, this handbook for early church life is set up a lot like several of Paul's letters. We have this section that opens up, and it's really chapters 1 through 3. And Paul gives thanks for those Christians, and then he gives them some instruction. This is what you should believe. Okay, This is basic Christian doctrine about who Jesus is and what the church is like. And then the last three chapters, chapters 4 through 6... Paul says, because you believe this, this is the way you should act. And so we have a theoretical or theological section, and then we have a practical application section. We're going to spend our time in the practical application section in this series. So Ephesians chapter 4. So as we open today, what we see is Paul's making that transition from the theoretical to the practical. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how Paul opens it up. As a prisoner for the Lord then, and Paul was in prison because of his faith, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Paul has been spending his time saying you're called as followers of Jesus, and this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now let me tell you, live up to that calling. As he opens the practical section, he says the overarching instruction I can give you is live up to the calling you've received. You've been called to be a follower of Jesus. 
And it's so important that you understand that calling that I want you to, to spend your life thinking about living up to who Jesus is. Now, he's going to say a lot more, but this is a really good place to start, right? If we want to think about what does it mean to live out our faith, a good place to start is I'm going to live up to what Jesus has done. I'm going to live a life worthy of the fact that Jesus died on a cross for my sin. Now, we're going to mess that up, sure. We're not going to get this right every time. That's to be expected. But, but my goal is, and I'm on the right path when I say, I want to live this life in a way that honors the one who died for me. So that's where Paul starts. Then it continues, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, <clears throat> bearing with one another in love. Let's start at the end of that verse. Bearing with one another in love. Now, when, when Paul says that, he is assuming it's going to be a struggle, right? You don't have to tell someone who's getting along with another person, now, now bear with them. You say that when things are not exactly right. And what Paul is saying to these Christians in Ephesus is, there is going to be a time when this will be a challenge. There's going to be a time when you don't feel like getting along with the people around you. Somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Somebody's going to want something that you don't want. Somebody's going to get their way and you won't. And what I'm telling you is, bear with one another in love. Okay, choose that instead of dividing you're going to stay together and you're going to work it out. Now, he says to do that in love. Right? That's what's going to be the motivator here. Our love for each other. Our love for fellow Christians is what will keep us together. Bear with one another, not bear with one another in passive aggressiveness. Right? Bear with one another in love. At the beginning of the verse, he says, be humble and gentle. One of those words could be translated meek, in humbleness and meekness. And we've talked about before that in Roman culture, meekness was looked down on. It was seen as a character flaw. But when it comes to the church, it's always seen as something we would strive for. Meekness says, this person in front of me is valued and loved by God. And because of that, they are valued and loved by me. Meekness is not, oh, I'm terrible and worthless. Meekness is... Look at the value of this person who was created in the image of God. And when we see other people as created in the image of God, it's the beginning of staying together when times can be difficult. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now there's good news in that verse. It doesn't say make every effort to keep unity through your own strength of will. Because that doesn't work. Because we're not always strong enough to do this. And is, as so often is the case in the New Testament, when, when Paul or someone else calls us to do something, they link that with the work of the Spirit or the work of God or the work of Jesus. And here it's the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is behind this. The Spirit of God strengthens us. The Spirit of God gives us the ability to bear with one another in love because we are followers of Jesus together. 
So we're not just dependent on our strength, but, but what we know is that there are times when we can say to the Spirit, I'm not interested, right? When we can refuse to follow the leading of the Spirit. Paul says here, this will only happen because the Spirit of God is binding you together through the bond of peace. And so the, the glue, the bond that the Spirit uses is peace. And that makes sense, right? Because it's really hard to bear with one another. It's really hard to maintain Christian unity when, when we don't try to have peace with each other. When we're constantly fighting. That doesn't mean we never talk about our differences. That doesn't mean we try to deal when, when things are bad, that we don't have some kind of resolution. It doesn't mean passive, it means peace. We seek out peace and that holds us together. And then Paul launches into a list of things. And each one of these things is singular. In other words, they are one. They cannot be divided. But the truth is, for almost every one of these, we do try to divide them. We do try to say, this is mine, not someone else's, or maybe we disagree, and so they have their thing and I have my thing. But, but Paul wants us to know that each one of these is singular. There is only one. What's he talking about? Verse 4. There is one body. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, look at these things that we hold in common that cannot be separated, that cannot be broken up. These are the things that will allow us to stay together. So he starts with, there is one body. Body of who? The body of Christ. And so because it's the body of Christ, we can't have one body over here and another body over here. Because what happens when you divide a body up? You kill it. He says there's one body. And everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ is part of that one body. Whether I like them or not, right? My personal opinion of that person has nothing to do with whether they are part of the one body of Christ. And sometimes we get that messed up. Sometimes I get that messed up. If they are a follower of Jesus, they are part of the one body. It's not that we have one body here and then there are other bodies of Christ around the, town, around the city or that there are other bodies of Christ around the world. We are all part of one body. We are connected with each other. And that stretches back to the very beginning of the church. We are connected with all those Christians who have come before us and with all the Christians who will come after us. We are part of the one body of Christ. We share that together and we cannot separate it. There will always and only be one. So there's one body. Paul says there's one spirit. Remember, the spirit is what holds this body together. And sort of like I have one body and I have one spirit within me, the church is the same. One body, one spirit. And it is the spirit of God that God has sent to indwell us. Now, here's the thing. 
Not all Christians understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the same way. That's okay, right? I mean, all any of us can do on these issues is say, okay, look, let, me, let me take God's Word and do the very best that I can to understand what it's saying. And then I'm going to teach that. And we may not always agree. And here's one that sometimes we disagree with other Christians on. But what we don't disagree on is there's one Spirit. God has one Spirit. And we may have to work to understand how God's Spirit is at work within us. That's okay. But in the end, there's still only one Spirit. And we are dependent on that one Spirit to do the work of God in the world around us. And we are dependent on that one Spirit to hold us together as we do that work. That much we know. That much we can say, all Christians together, this is the Spirit of God and we are dependent on that Spirit. One body, one Spirit, one hope. One hope. And what's our hope? Our hope is eternal life. Our hope is that death doesn't end it all. Our hope is that Jesus will return, and when he does, he will take with them all those who are part of the body, and we will spend eternity praising God. Now here's another one. When you say, well, when we get into the details of how that's all going to work, man, you got Christians all over the place, right? you got Christians reading the book of Revelation, and one says this, and another says that, and it doesn't feel like we're united on that at all. In fact, it feels like we're so messed up, we don't know what's going to happen. Here's what I know. Our hope is simple. Our hope is Jesus comes back, we spend eternity with God. And, and virtually all Christians can agree on those statements. Now exactly when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, what's going to happen before, all those things, that's up for grabs. And again, all we can do is do our very best to study God's Word and try to understand it. But at the core, our hope is the same. And many of us have seen Christians draw lines and divide up over this issue. And what a shame it is that our hope could somehow divide us from other people who believe in Jesus. And that keeps us from the mission that God has called us to fulfill. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. The earliest Christian confessions, the earliest confessions that the church made was very simple. Jesus is Lord. And in that, they were saying Jesus is God. And in that, they were saying Jesus is over all. He's the one that we all answer to. We are all listening to him and seeking his guidance. He's the one who provides eternal life. There is only one Lord. And no one group can say, that's our Lord. You have your Lord. It's just Jesus. And those who call him Lord, who say Jesus is Lord, despite all the things that might separate us, differences in doctrine and organization and worship, despite all the things that might divide us in the local church to hurt feelings and personalities and politics and everything else, there is one Lord. His name is Jesus. And that's 
It's one of the most important things that we hold in common. We are followers of this one Lord Jesus Christ. And it all boils down to that. How do we respond to that one Lord? In faith. And again, sometimes we use that word. We'll talk about different faiths. And by that, we mean this church over here and that church over there. Well, we disagree on some issues related to faith. Paul says there is one faith, right? Faith in the Lord he just talked about. Faith that Jesus is Lord. That's where it all starts. Now, lots of things grow from that. And faith is developed over a lifetime. And, and for the church over centuries, as we reinterpret what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and especially in relationship to the culture in which we live. But at the core, Jesus is Lord, is the basis of our one faith, which leads to our one baptism. Where we say, I'm submitting to this one Lord in baptism. Now, over and over, we come to these and say, well, yeah, but Christians understand this differently, right? I mean, our church, as we look in, in Scripture and try to understand what baptism is, we see that people were immersed into water and raised up, and they were at an age where they could make that decision for themselves. Believers' baptism. We call it, I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to be baptized. Other Christians practice differently, right? When we come back to this, one baptism because of faith in that one Lord. These are the things that hold us together. And then finally in verse 6, one God. One God and Father of us all. And he runs through all of this. We worship this one God, not, not the God I worship and then the God you worship. Same God, singular. We can't separate him, can't divide him up. I don't get to claim him as my own and you don't have him. There he is. One God. Now, why does Paul spend three verses listing all these things? And it's sort of easy if, if you've read this before like I have and and just sort of mark those things off. Yeah, I know what Paul's talking about. What's important about these things? I, I think it boils down to this. What we hold in common holds us together. These seven things, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, that's where it all begins. And yes, we may differ on lots of things. Pews or chairs, color of the carpet, style of worship, who's going to lead, how they lead, how that leadership is organized, what missions we support, what missions we don't support. We can find all kinds of reasons to disagree. But these seven things... Unite us with Christians who have been worshiping or will worship Jesus all around the globe on this day. And they can't be divided. It is not as though one can worship the Spirit over here and, one, and they say, oh, you worship a different... No. One Lord, one Spirit, one God. 
period. And if these things are going to bring Christian unity, I think there's two simple things that we can do to help make that happen. The first is this, focus on what we have in common. You know, when Christians get together, especially preachers, okay? Most of you have not been to a lot of preachers' meetings. I have. We tend to talk about the things that separate us. Not, not to pick a fight, but the things that are different among us, right? Well, how do you guys do church structure? We got this, 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 okay? What, what's your worship service like? Well, ours is different from that. And it's not, again, it's not as though we're picking a fight and trying to find out who's right. It's just we, we tend to focus on the things that are different between us. And we forget these seven things that are the same. These seven things that are overarching, that are far more important than most of the things that separate us. Yeah, Christians worship God differently around the world and through history. You look at worship a thousand years ago, it's not really going to speak to us today. That's just the way it is. But these seven things... These are the things that we hold in common. And if we start our conversations with them, it leads to unity. When we start our conversations with all our differences, it may go an entirely different direction. But the differences are there. And I think that's the second thing we have to acknowledge, that we understand our differences in light of our commonalities. What's really important? Well, one body, one spirit, one hope. Those are the things that really matter. Now, the things that separate us, I'm not saying don't matter. I'm not saying they're not important because they may be really important. And in the moment, they may be very powerful. But when we understand that, yes, we have differences, but compared to God himself, Jesus on the cross, his spirit at work in the church, nothing else rises to that level. And so as Christians, we're called to be one with each other in this room and one with people who are worshiping Jesus around the globe. But you know, it's really easy to talk about this and really hard when we actually have to put it into practice. When we really have to reach out through the Spirit, bearing with one another in love and allowing the bond of peace to hold us together. It can be hard work. But what both Paul and Jesus are telling us today is it is worth it because we have a mission that we have been called to fulfill and we do it better when we do it together. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for, for this body. We're thankful for the love that we share with one another. We're thankful for the work that we get to do together. We're thankful for gathering to worship you in your spirit. And God, we're thankful for the hope that we have for eternal life, that, that our fellowship isn't just about what goes on in this room today, but, but it's going to extend 
into eternity. We look forward to being together, worshiping you forever. God, bind us together in all of that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. At the core of our one faith is Jesus' death on the cross, offering us this hope that we have, forgiveness, eternal life. And if you're ready to respond to that hope, if you're ready to put your faith in this one Jesus that we've talked about today, we'd love to know about that, and we'd love to see you baptized into him. If you've made that decision, let us know. Come forward as we sing our invitation this morning. Let's stand together. Mm -hmm.